May my hands be holy when I kneel in prayer. May my life be holy when I praise. Help me, Lord, respect the role you've given me. May I serve with honor all my days. May I serve with honor in the role you've given me. And may I never go beyond my place as I serve my Follow the truth and I'll be saved. May my hands be holy when I kneel in prayer. May my life be holy when I praise. Help me, Lord, respect the role you've given me. May I serve with honor all my days. God the Father of all men, ruler of all nations, master of the I really have to explain what I mean by that because it can be easily misunderstood. Because whenever we think about prophets today, we oftentimes think of somebody who is like telling what's going to happen in the future. And when you read the prophets of the Old Testament, you find out that that did happen sometimes. They did prophesy about things that were going to take place in the future. However, almost always, in, in fact, even within those prophecies about future events, there was something for the audience right then and there. There's something that needed to be heard then. Now, I mean, whenever you kind of boil down what a prophet is, essentially it is a mouthpiece of God. You know, we are called to be a mouthpiece of God. That's what the prophets were in the Old Testament as well, and also in the New Testament. That's what a prophet is. It's a spokesperson of God. Also, I want us to kind of zero in and really focus on one particular role of a prophet. And that is what uh, I'm going to call a public conscience. And, you know, just like on an individual basis, how we have a conscience that it is trained about whether this thing is right or if it's wrong. And we know whether or not the things that we do are good or bad. 
that's kind of what the role of the prophet was. It was supposed to be that for the general masses, because from time to time, our individual consciences, we've we've kind of messed them up and we've gotten them to accept things that really shouldn't be acceptable or to sometimes reject things that should have been acceptable in God's sight. So we, we mess those things up from time to time. But the role of the prophet, at least one of the roles of the prophets that I want us to focus on, is that of a public conscience. Just like how your conscience sort of tells you whether or not you, you need to be doing that thing, and if it's really what you should be doing, that's what the prophets were supposed to do. They were supposed to be a voice that were shouting out and telling the people, you don't need to be doing this, you do need to be doing this over here. And sometimes we might wonder, well, is that really my job? Well, I want to remind you of what Jesus said during his final uh, few days there with the disciples. In Matthew chapter 28, the very last part of it, we oftentimes call this the Great Commission. He says there in, in verse 20, uh, among other things, he's already told them that he has all this authority. He told them to go and to make disciples. He told them to baptize those disciples. But that's not where the journey ends. There's more to it. Because after they make disciples and after they baptize those disciples, verse 20, Jesus is still speaking. He says, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That was the job of the apostles, is that they were to make these disciples and these early disciples, they were supposed to teach them the things that Jesus commanded them. Well, when you look at how Jesus lived his life, uh, lived his life, he loved sinners, but he called them out for it. And he called them to repent. Uh, that's why early on in his ministry, that was the message that he proclaimed was to repent for the kingdom is in our midst. That's what his, his message was about. That's also the message of John the Baptist. And both of these were acting as this prophetic voice, that this public conscience, that the people needed to repent. Does that message need to be proclaimed today? Are we proclaiming it? I believe we've got to speak out about this. I believe that we've got to be open about what God says we should do or what God says that we shouldn't do. And to look at this, I want us to look at the prophet Zephaniah. It's a short book, only three chapters long, and we're going to look at the first two chapters here, uh, though not all of it, but we will look at most of it. And I want to challenge you to, to read the whole book in its entirety. And then in this evening lesson, we're going to be looking at Zephaniah chapter 3. So just kind of pay attention to that and, and uh, take note of that whenever it comes up. But let's look at Zeph Zephaniah chapters 1 and 2 together. Zephaniah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. This is how the prophet Zephaniah starts. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, during the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. Okay. So this is the word of the Lord. That was just the introduction, verse one. Verse two is the actual word of the Lord. I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away both man and beast. I will sweep away the birds in the sky and the fish in the air and the idols that cause the wicked to stumble. Now, I don't know about you, but as I read those words, it sounds an awful lot like Noah. Uh, in, in fact, whenever I was kind of talking uh, with my wife about sort of what I was going to be preaching on here. I, I mentioned to her, you know, I read her this little passage. And then after I read that, I realized this sounded just like what Noah was saying during 
uh, during his day or, or what God was saying during Noah's day. That's because Noah was a prophet and his role was to be a, a conscience for the public. They didn't listen to him, but his job was to proclaim the word of the Lord. And that's what Zephaniah's job was. That's what our job is too. We are called to proclaim the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to these prophets at different times, typically during difficult times or whenever transitions were happening. Those prophets stepped up and called people to repent and brought them to realize that God is powerful. He makes the rules. He gets to decide what happens here on this earth. And we see that here in verses two and three, he's displeased with what he sees on the earth because it's all wickedness. It's all this violence. It's all this wrongdoing. And God has had enough. Sometimes it feels like God doesn't act as quickly as what we think that maybe he should, but he nevertheless does act on things. He acts on them often. We just have to be open to recognize whenever he's going to do these things. We see already he's, he's getting right at the heart of it. The last part of verse three talks about these idols. And we're going to continue to see this, the reasoning behind it, because God doesn't ever just say he's going to destroy people without giving them some type of reason. Now, yes, it ultimately always comes down to sin, but usually he gets even more specific than that. And here, some of that was their idolatry. But as we continue to see, there's more than just the idolatry that they had going against them. Let's keep reading. Zephaniah 1, verses 3 through 6 now. When I destroy all mankind on the face of the earth, declares the Lord, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all who live in Jerusalem. I will destroy every remnant of Baal worship in this place. The very names of the idolatrous priests, those who bow down on the roofs to worship the starry host, those who bow down and swear by the name of the Lord and who also swear by Molech, those who turn back from following the Lord and neither seek the Lord nor inquire of him. We see more of these reasons as to why God was bringing about this judgment. And we see from this passage that the Lord, see Zephaniah, I, I chose to share with you words from Zephaniah because he's like many of the other prophets who recognize it's not just them. It's not just those other people who are sinners, but sometimes it's, you know, we, we are the ones that are sometimes wrong. And by that, what he was talking about when you look at verse four, you find out he mentions Judah. He mentions Jerusalem. See, a lot of times the Jews throughout the scriptures, uh, they were very quick to point fingers to other nations and say, you're doing this wrong. You, you've you got to, to be following God. But yet they themselves would oftentimes not follow God. And what God reminded them, just like all other nations around, was that all nations needed to be following God. Their allegiance needed to be with God. And we see that whenever Judah or Jerusalem or whenever Israel was disobedient to God, he took notice of it and he did something about it. You see that there's so many different lists of, of the type of idolatry that they were partaking of. None of it's good. None of these things are things that they should be doing. Do we have idolatry in our nation today, in the world today? Do we have idolatry? Yes. We have it all over the place. In fact, sometimes in some parts of the world, we have an idolatry very similar to the very types of idolatry that he's mentioning here. However, here in America, we oftentimes have other forms that we've invented. In fact, we, we rarely uh, bow down to statues. We have other things 
that we have placed up to be idols. And by the way, an idol is just simply anything that you, you put in the place of, of God. God is the only one that is, is ruler and, and should be supreme in our life. Whenever we put anything else as the top priority, we've turned an idol out of whatever that is. There's also some other similar images to this that Zephaniah goes into and, and tells them about and, and gets them to recognize what God is doing in their midst. Let's take a look at some of those. Now in verse 7 of Zephaniah 1, Be silent before the sovereign Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated those he has invited. We see this good bit of advice for us. Be silent before the sovereign Lord. You know, sometimes that's just what we need to do. We just need to be silent before the sovereign Lord because he is sovereign. He is supreme. What he says goes. Sometimes we just need to recognize that. But we also see another reason. We see that, that Zephaniah is, is telling them that the day of the Lord is near. He recognized that. Now, when we think of whenever we hear the day of the Lord and whenever we think about the day of the Lord, we probably automatically go to the end of time whenever the final day of the Lord comes and everybody will give an account for what they've done. And that day is going to come. However, when you read about the day of the Lord in the Old Testament, most of the time, what it's talking about is a time whenever God is going to visit his people. It's a day that the Lord has set up that he is going to, to come in and, and going to kind of correct their path. Perhaps he's going to, to get rid of the, the negative things that are in there, the evil things, the wicked things that are among the people. And sometimes he needs to, to nudge them into the way of righteousness. Now, it's our choice how much of a part we play in all that. Because before the day of the Lord comes, God gives a time to repent. Time and time again. I mean, that's what Zephaniah is about. Zephaniah is warning them of an opportunity to repent before the day of the Lord comes. It's our choice as to whether or not we try to fix things and try to work with God or if we just keep going down the wrong path. If we keep going down the wrong path, the Lord will most certainly step in and intervene. Uh, there's more. Let's keep looking at this chapter here. Look at verse Look at verse 12 now. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who are complacent, who are like wine left on the dregs, who think the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. We see once again that that now God's children, so to speak, are brought in. Jerusalem is brought in. And Jerusalem is going to be searched throughout. The Lord will find out what's, what's wrong and what needs to be made right. And he will do that. The Lord is active today, just like he was in times past. And he knows exactly what needs to be done and when it needs to be done. He will do it. Let's keep looking, though, a little bit more about this day of the Lord. Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. The great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. The cry on the day of the Lord is bitter. Um, the mighty warrior shouts his battle cry. The day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of tr trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the corner towers. As you look at this, you find out what the day of the Lord is going to be. This day of the Lord is a time whenever God is going to step in. And those things that are wicked, those things that are evil, he's going to do something about it. 
He's described here in verse 14 as the mighty warrior. And sometimes I, th I think that we miss that part of who God is. God is big. He, he is described in all these different types of terms. He is a mighty warrior. He will come in. He will fix a day in which he will make things right. And he's done that several times throughout history. And he will do that at the very end of time. And he will, he will at the final day, make everything right. But along the way, he will correct us. He will take action against the wickedness that is in the world. Not always on our time, but on his time, during his day. And all of these other times that the, the day of the Lord has been said to have happened, and that the Lord has stepped in and done something pretty oftentimes drastic, or, or dramatic might be a better term, we find out that all of them give us a hint of what it will be like in the final day. And all of them point toward the final day of the Lord, in which the Lord will uh, bring about judgment upon all nations at once. Let's keep looking. Now verses 17 and 18. I will bring such distress on all people that they will grope about like those who are blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood will be poured out like dust and their entrails like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. In the fire of his jealousy, the whole earth will be consumed, for he will make a sudden end of all who live on the earth. So here in this passage, we can ask a question, where can salvation be found? It's most certainly not with earthly possessions. Verse 18 makes that very plain, that silver is not going to be able to save you. Gold is not going to be able to save you. Not on the day of the Lord's wrath. What will save you? Well, we live in a different time. We live in a time whenever Jesus Christ has already set foot here on this earth. We recognize that Jesus is the only way of salvation. Jesus Christ is that salvation. And in him, salvation can be found. Deliverance can be found from the day of the Lord's wrath and from the Lord's wrath itself. And when you look at this passage here and you look at the other prophets of the Old Testament, you find out that God's children, the Israelites, they were given a chance to repent. And they, they have been numerous times. That's what this book is about, remember. It's about an opportunity to repent. It's our choice if we work with God in making things right in the world or if we just are in it. So God's children are given that chance to repent. What does that look like? Well, that's what Zephaniah chapter 2, at least the first part of it, is about. Let's take a look at it. So now verses 1 through 3 of Zephaniah chapter 2. Gather together, gather yourselves together, you shameful nations, before the decree takes effect and that day passes like windblown chaff, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's wrath comes upon you. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, you who do what he commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. So we see in this passage that the children of Israel, that the nation of, that God has set aside in hopes of being a light to the other nations, which they oftentimes weren't, something was going to be happening because they were getting just as bad as the other nations at this time. But they were told they do have a moment of an, an opportunity to repent. How do they repent? What does that look like? Verse 3 tells us that, that they needed to seek the Lord. Guess what? 
need to do the same thing today in order for us to repent, in order for us to make things right and to work with God within his world to help make things right. We seek the Lord. What does that look like? When we seek the Lord, we also are going to be seeking righteousness. We're going to be seeking humility. Does that describe you? Does that describe me? Because it should. This is how we can perhaps be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. That's what Zephaniah's message was stated. And it is similar to us today. We still need to be seeking these same things today. We need to be seeking the Lord. We need to be seeking righteousness. We need to be seeking humility. And keep in mind that we are called to be a public conscience. We need to be telling other people to seek the Lord, telling other people to seek righteousness, to seek humility. And sometimes we need to work with people because they don't even know what righteousness is anymore or don't even know what humility is even anymore. Possibly might not even know who the Lord is anymore. It's our job to teach them, to proclaim this message so that they can perhaps be shielded from this Lord's anger as well. And if you keep looking at the rest of this chapter, you find out that it's it's not just with the children of God. The scripture does say that the judgment begins at the household of God with the children of God, but it goes out into other nations as well. In fact, we, we find out in four different directions in the rest of this chapter that this judgment is going to be going out. With Israel as the center, so to speak, we see to the west, the people of Philistia are, are talked about here. We see in verse 5, Woe to you who live by the sea. And then it also sees, we also see in that verse, the word of the Lord is against you, Canaan, land of the Philistines. And if you keep looking at this, we find out also in verse 6, the land by the sea will become pastures, having wells for shepherds and pens for flocks. That land will belong to the remnant of the people of Judah. There they will find pasture. When you look at this, you find out even among these moments that whenever God is is calling them out on things. I mean, you look at verse 4, that there's abandonment mentioned, ruins being mentioned, places being emptied and uprooted. All of this passage is to the people of the West. And the people of the West, they're not doing good. God recognizes it. And he's going to do something about it. We find out also in the same chapter, now to the east, Moab, Ammon, and, and other nations around there and other peoples around there. In verses 8 through 11, we find out that they're doing the same types of things that they were doing in the west. So we see to the west, there's sin and God is going to deal with it. To the east, there's sin and God is going to deal with it. Look at verse 9. Therefore, as surely as I live, declares the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, surely Moab will be will become like Sodom, the Ammonites like Gomorrah, a place of weeds and salt pits, a wasteland forever. The remnant of my people will plunder them. The survivors of my nation will inherit their land. If you keep looking, you, you see that to the west, there's that sin. God's aware of it. And he's going to do something about it. To the east, there's sin. God's aware of it. And he's going to do something about it. In both of these passages, though, we've seen this language about remnant. And I didn't specifically draw your attention to that in, in an earlier verse 7. But in verse 7, he talked about how the land of the Philistines, uh, that it's going to belong to the remnant of the people of Judah. And then here, if you draw your attention to verse 9, the, the second part of that, the remnant of my people will plunder them and the survivors of my nation will inherit their land. This is another message 
that is spoken of throughout the Old Testament and, and among the prophets, and that is there is a remnant of the people of God who are faithful. That just means it's a smaller group. It's not all of Israel that are faithful to God, but there is a remnant. There's always been a remnant of God's people, and that remnant is still faithful to God, and they are still going to be blessed in different ways, and here we see that there is a blessing pronounced uh, among whenever the east and the west are both judged for their sins and whenever they must uh, give an account for what they've done. But it's not just about the east and the west. We also see to the south in Cush. It's a lot smaller of a thing, and I don't really know why it's so small, but this is just what's stated to the to Cush. You Cushites too will be slain by my sword. It's the Lord speaking. He recognizes that they're still uh, going completely different than what God wants them to be doing. And they will be taken care of. We see also in the north, Assyria here is mentioned. And here specifically, it's, it's mentioned about the north in verse 13. He will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria, leaving Nineveh utterly desolate and dry as the desert. You want to know what it looks like? It's going to look like this. Verses 14 through 15 now. Flocks and herds will lie down there, creatures of every kind. The desert owl and the screech owl will roost on their columns. Their hooting will echo throughout the windows. Rubble will fill the doorways and beams of cedar will be exposed. This is the city of revelry that lived in safety. She said to herself, I am the one and there is none besides me. What a ruin she has become, a lair for wild beasts. All who pass by her scoff and shake their fists. See, Assyria, like other world powers that have come and have gone, they literally have just come and they've gone. Whenever they get so wicked and so dis disruptive to God's plan, he visits them. He corrects them. And that usually comes into somebody else is going to rise up to power and become a world power. What about today? Where does world power lie? And what do those nations look like? Do those nations need to hear some of the same things and to recognize that unless they repent, the same types of things will come upon them as well? And it doesn't matter if it's to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west, any direction from Israel or from where you just happen to be. If we don't obey God, then our end will be very similar. God has a way of dealing with sin. Now, this message is not one that people always like to hear. And you might be wondering, is there any hope? There is. In chapter 3, which we're going to look at tonight, we don't have enough time here. I've, I've probably been going a little long already. But in chapter 3, we're going to look at that tonight, and we're going to see that there is hope. It has to do with this, this remnant. It has to do with restoration. But I do want to read one passage from there. I want us to see this, this message of hope. In chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord says, Then I will purify the lips of the peoples, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. That's a wonderful image. That's what it means to be restored. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to see that there is hope. And there is something positive to look at. But there is also sin. And there is also problems. And God has a way of correcting those problems. So I believe we do still have a need for a prophetic voice in the world today. 
And it is our job. It's your job. It's my job to be that voice. Now, that doesn't mean that we just proclaim whatever we want to speak out. What that means, if we're going to do it right, it means that we are proclaiming what God has said. Not necessarily what we have said and what we want to say, but what God has said. And how do we fall short of this prophetic call today? We fall short of it whenever we try to proclaim our own message as if it's God's message. It's not the same thing. God's message is different. His message has got to be the one that we proclaim. We also fall short of it today whenever we ourselves sin, just like with Judah and Jerusalem and Israel. Their sins will find them out as well, and they have got to give an account for what they do. That's one way that we can fall short of it. Let's not do that. Another way is whenever we fail to warn others, whenever we fail to be this conscience of the public and allow them to see what God wants. What does he want? He wants righteousness. He wants humility. Remember chapter 2, verse 3? And he wants us to seek him. Is that what you're doing? And is that the message you're proclaiming? Let's face it. Our world, the public, needs to have a conscience. It's our job to be proclaiming it and to be guiding that conscience. Will you do that? We want you back. We want you back. We want the sheep back in the fold. We want you back. We want you back. We want the coin back in its mold. Lost like a sheep that went astray. Or a son who dared to roam. Come Come back to the faith. Come Come back to your God. Come Come back to the fold. We want you back. We want you back. We want the sheep back in the fold. We want you back. We want you back. We want the coin back in its mold. Oh, please don't stay there in the world. For it's temporary joys. Come back to the faith. Come back to your God. Come back to the fold. you back. We want the sheep back in the fold. We want you back. We want you back. We want the coin back in its mold. Though you have wandered far away, you can come back to your home. Come back to the faith. Come back to your God. Come back to the fold.